Feel free to, to drink some coffee or tea. And, uh, <laughs> Shukran. Um, um, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Um, dear respected viewers, I'm just checking if it's live. I believe it is a live, a live at the moment because one of the brothers just responded. Alaikum salam to Brother Mir, inshallah. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen, wa salatu wa salam, ala nabiya kareem, wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in. Uh, uh, on behalf of Roots Academy, Roots Conversations, um, I believe this is the 16th episode um, on our platforms that we've got, alhamdulillah, we've got with us Ustad Shabir Hassan, um, who lives practically everywhere. Uh, <laughs> and he's the uh, he's a musafir, mashallah, which is very, which is very befitting of a student of knowledge, mashallah. And today he'll be talking to us about something uh, that will uh, gather the interest of a lot of people because of the nature of the topic itself um, and so the topic is upon uh, is on the aspect of marriage and what I mean what's the point in marriage uh, from a Sharia perspective and also just understanding the the, the, the the state of the people of today do what you know the issues of of, of today as well um, so without further ado Sheikh Shabir Ustad uh, Shabir I'm going to ask you a question I mean what is the point in a wedding or what is the point in a marriage uh, you know Thank you for hosting me uh, and we we're just saying before we started really good to connect alhamdulillah um, for the first time so great great stuff thank you um, for having me on here and yeah uh, like you said marriage it's one of those topics isn't it that um, gathers it definitely does gather um, a lot of interest you know, uh, whenever we discuss marriage, um, subhanAllah, a lot of people are interested. And I, and, and I take it that's, of course, you know, definitely for good reasons. It's always good to see interest in whatever subject it may be. Um, but yeah, when we're talking about marriage, um, why do we get married? Um, I think really, to be quite honest with you, um, there's a couple of ways of looking at it, to be completely honest with you. Um, it depends on what perspective we're looking at it from so um i think from one perspective we're talking like you know asim mentioned just a shari perspective like just what's the general islamic perspective on getting married you know uh, why should we get married as muslims and i think that's that's definitely a good good uh, good kind of area to to look into but otherwise you can also um look at it from the perspective of well you know why What's the point in getting married? Just generally, forget Islamically. Let's put that to one side. Um, even though, as Muslims, that is, you know, the reason why we get married, or the reason why I eat food, or the reason why I pray, whatever I do in life, the reason why I go to university, Islam should be at the forefront. The reason, the primary reason, is always an Islamic reason, quote unquote, right? But let's just pause and put that to one side for a moment. There are other people who just ask, you know, what's this marriage thing? Like, I just, I just don't want to deal with it, kind of thing, right? what's the point i don't see the benefit so you have those two perspectives so i think you know it'd be interesting to look into maybe both from from an islamic point of view let's just talk about that why get married in the first place okay again it depends on really to be honest with you it depends on very it's very like individual and case by case at the same time like the answers i'm going to give you it's not necessarily going to um appeal to every single one of you it's not going to necessarily be the pulling factor for every single one of you but these are general reasons right some of you might be sitting there 
And it's interesting, actually, when you look at it from a fiqh point of view, um, you know, many people ask, what is the ruling on getting married? Do I have to get married? You know, is it wajib? Is it sunnah? Is it recommended? You know, what is the ruling? And subhanAllah, when you look into it and you look at the opinions of the fuqaha and the different jurists and scholars, right, over time, you will find that even they didn't really give one clear-cut answer on this. Because again, it's individual, right? You know, it, you look at it on an individual case-by-case -case basis. It, you know, it, the, 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 the rulings range from haram to wajib. And you're like, how does that even work? How can marriage be haram? Marriage is a good thing. You know, marriage, the Prophet also married multiple times. Every Prophet almost pretty much married. Why, how, is it, how is it haram? But it might be haram if you're, no, you're in no position to get married. You're in no position to get married. You're not ready for marriage. You, if you were to get married, it would actually harm the other individual. You know, like that's when it might be haram to get married. And on the other hand, it might be wajib for someone to get married. You, might, you have to get married because you're at a stage right now where you literally can't control yourself, you know, and you have to get married. You have to settle down, basically, and everything else in between. Generally speaking, we say, you know, it's a very highly emphasized noble sunnah. You know, that's what we generally say. That's a general kind of uh, outlook on marriage, right? And to be honest with you, that is reason number one why we get married. Reason number one why Islamically we get married is because it is a very noble act in the sight of Allah. It is a great, highly emphasized sunnah, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, that, oh, oh, Prophet Muhammad, we sent many messengers before you, right? And we blessed each and every single one of those messengers with azwaj, with spouses, with partners, and with offspring, with children. So that is really, uh, you know, um, reason number one. Every single prophet, who are the best of people? The anbiya, the prophets. That is, you know, in terms of us as humans, no dispute on that. The best of people are the prophets. All the prophets, and we know there were thousands of them, potentially more than 100,000, uh, bar a few, a few exceptions that we know of, okay, got married. Bar a few, they didn't get married, that we, that we know of anyway. You know, Wallahu alam, you know, Prophet Yahya alayhi salam, Isa alayhi salam, etc. Otherwise, we know they got married, right? From Adam alayhi salam, the very first Prophet, to Nuh alayhi salam, to, you know, Lut alayhi salam, to Musa alayhi salam, all their wives are mentioned in the Quran, or there's some reference made to their wives, Ibrahim alayhi salam, etc., etc. That is reason number one. You do it because there's great reward in it, just like there's great reward in, in anything if you do it with the proper intention, if you do it the proper way. That is reason number one. Um, so that is the intention that a lot of us should have. And this is the most important part, really, that a lot of us seem to forget when it comes to marriage, because it's all about, you know, nowadays it's all about love. It's just all about, you know, I'm in love, so I should just get married. And, you know, I'm going to, it's, it's all about what I see on TikTok and Instagram, you know, these nice pictures and videos. That's what marriage is all about. Okay. Um, but actually we, we forget reason number one. It is a spiritual bond as well. You know, you are not only, uh, you know, you are not only um, settling yourself in, in terms of the worldly life, but you're settling yourself in terms of the hereafter, right? Which is why, you know, one of the um, tafsirs of, uh, you know, the famous dua, Rabbana atina fid dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana, our Lord, you know, grant us what is good, grant us success in this life, 
granted success in the next life. Ali radiallahu he said that the, 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 the interpretation, according to him, of success in this life, true success in this life, is to have a zawja saliha, is to have a righteous wife, a righteous spouse. And that's why our Prophet said that one of the best provisions that you can have in this worldly life is to have a righteous spouse, right? Literally. So um, that is actually number one reason. It should be at the forefront of our minds that it's all about, I'm thinking about my akhirah as well as my dunya when I am marrying. So that's kind of like reason number one. And there's many other benefits, many other um, reasons when it comes to why we should get married. You know, I would say one of the main reasons Okay, and, and by the way, Brother Asim, please, any point, because I can, I'll just go on if you don't stop me. Any point, just literally jump in and ask me another question or tell me to just 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 stop, okay? Um, but I, I want to add this point because it's really important. And this is a more practical one, which is companionship, right? Companionship is probably one of the key reasons why. Um, a lot of us, we crave companionship. And I'll tell you what, you might argue, well, I can get companionship through my friends, through my family members. I don't need a. I don't need to get married for companionship, but there's nothing closer. You you will never have a closer companion, a more intimate companion than than your your husband or your wife. There's no, there's, there's, you can't, because that's someone that you're going to build a life with. You don't build a life with anybody else. You don't move in with anybody else. You don't settle down with anybody else. You don't have children. You know that is that is only through your husband or your wife, your spouse, right? Companionship. And let me give you the perfect example of this. It's in the Quran. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Adam alayhi salam, the first human being, the first prophet, right? Where was he at this point? Right? A lot of us forget. Right? Before, you know, minha jami'a, you know, before uh, you know, you dis, dis, he had to descend. He was in paradise. Right? We all know this. Adam alayhi salam was in paradise. He was in he was in he the heavens, he was not on this earth. Okay? And he was you know, initially, Allah created just him. He didn't have anybody else around him. There was no other human being. It was just him. Apart from him, the other creations, angels, jinn, etc. But only Adam Islam as a human being. What does Allah say? Right? That Allah, he is the one who created from Adam Islam this nafs, this one single soul. He created another soul. Right? Yeah? As for, for verse 1, Surah An-Nisa. Right? Um, uh, yeah, but not that verse. There's another verse in the Quran where Allah says the same thing He created, right? Uh, from this one soul, its match, its pair, meaning its wife, right? Why? Literally, that's it. In another part of the Quran, Allah says, right? Different wording, but same thing. What does Allah say? So that you could find some peace and, and, and comfort in your, in, your, in your wife. Why? Because Adam Adison, even though I always give this example, even though he was in paradise, he had everything you can imagine. In paradise, in heavens, you can eat whatever, you can do whatever, you can enjoy. Okay? But subhanAllah, you know, the nature of us as human beings is what? You can enjoy, but it's never the same when you don't enjoy it with someone, right? How many of you go to a restaurant and you book a table for one and you sit there in the restaurant by yourself and you're enjoying your, your nice Turkish meal or whatever it is? You know, we want to go to the restaurant with our friends. You don't normally go to the restaurant by yourself. If you do, by the way, no problem. That's fine. Right. But if you, I mean, normally you want to go out with your friends, you want to go out for a meal, you want to go out for a nice time with your friends, family members, companionship. 
that's what Adam السلام, was missing from his from his life in, in the heavens. He needed that. Hence why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Hawa alayhi salam, right? For him, so that they could enjoy it together. Does that make sense, right? So this is these are these are the two main reasons. And the third obvious reason is what eventually Adam and Hawa alayhi uh, salam, what they ended up having, which is offspring and children. The only way, the only way, legitimate way, and the halal way of having children is through nikah. Right, and that is the best way of, of course, preserving your lineage, etc. And and having children, our Prophet he has highly encouraged. This. this is a way of growing the ummah. This is a way of, you know, um, growing the family unit. Okay, uh, building communities. It's all based on the family unit. So this is where children come comes into the mix. These are just, you know, three reasons, guys, out of so many reasons I can give you why marriage is essential. Why marriage is so important. Now, whether you want to have children or not, or whether you need companionship or not, that's you. But remember, Islam is universal. So universally speaking, right, marriage is for, you know, fits fits the bill for most people. If it doesn't for you, then khalas, that's fine. You're not going to argue here and say, okay, you know what, just because you don't want to get married, nobody needs to get married. I mean, that's, that's up to you, right? But generally speaking, those are three out of many, many reasons. That's just that's just the first perspective. I let, I let Brother Asim take over, but that's just the first perspective on Islamically. Islamically, yeah. Don't worry, my, me taking over, just asking questions. Is nothing <laughs> I was going to test you no a, more, uh, a bit more further than that because you mentioned the mm. three reasons or three of the three of many reasons, and I think the third one particularly struck out stuck out for me because of the idea of procreation and having children mm. offspring. Um, although that's not the case for everyone for various reasons, but I think on a wide scale, on a macro scale, there's a huge importance for us to to have children and to procreate for the lineage of, and also, you know, as Prophet also encouraged this for his Ummah, he wants his Ummah to be the largest in the Ummah of Fiyana. But uh, I mean, in terms of in terms of procreating in today's society, uh, people do not have the incentive to even procreate, to even have children. So they have yeah. uh, they either just keep pets um, because it gives them that's not the same level of satisfaction they wouldn't know otherwise but they mm. they don't they don't want to they want to avoid the pain of labor which all the financial costs financial mm. costs surprisingly you'd be very surprised in the west mainly the uk i'm talking about it's a big factor people do factor mm. in the cost of children uh yeah. what it would take and people even economists i've got economics as background myself we calculate how much is the actual baby cost on average mm. uh, and these kinds of questions are do do pop up in people's minds but how do we then counter this as as an, as an ummah how do they you know propel ourselves to provide the answers and guidance for these people because i feel like this a bit more than that there's a bit more benefit mm. to looking at having children mm, absolutely yeah no really good point it was, it's interesting because i think i was just discussing it recently as well with one of, with a group of my friends and they were actually saying as well i i don't know what the official statistics or numbers are but they were saying that it has dropped significantly in terms of um, birth rates and people just generally wanting to have children so it's interesting to see why and maybe in the west i can i can perhaps you know understand not that i'm fully in agreement i can maybe understand from the perspective of you know some people why they don't want to have children and and you know um asim saying from his background as well he knows right there's a there's a huge factor when it comes to even just financially having children. of course it's you know n nothing you know especially in in you know in the world we live in today there's going to be huge amounts of um 
you know, burden's not the right word because obviously we don't believe that a child is a burden. But for some people, this is how they see it, a financial burden, whatever, right? So subhanAllah, this is, you know, if, if you're going through that, then absolutely, you know, I, I, I cannot, you know, I'm not taking any, anything away from you and your struggle. Inshallah, may Allah make it easy. Um, but, you know, I have realized this and, and this is an issue perhaps, you know, a lot of people, you know, of course, those who have the ability to, you know, if Allah has blessed them to have children, um, they, they're just not, they're not as interested anymore. Why? You know, Wallahu alam, you know, I don't know the reason for every single person. But I think one thing that we need to think about is why was it, why is it in Islam that there was such emphasis on this? You know, why is it that we, there is an emphasis and there is such great reward um, in this, right? Yes, it's a fitna. Allah says in the Quran, fitna. He actually says that your children are a fitna. Allah himself says it in the Quran. So don't think this is a new thing like, oh, yeah, children are fitna, man. And you know what? I think uh, Islam's, you know, this Islamic system is a bit outdated now. Maybe, you know, we need to rethink. You know, Allah has already said that. It's fitna. It's a huge fitna. But fitna isn't a bad thing, guys. You know, everyone thinks when they hear the word fitna, halas, that's it. You know, astaghfirullah, fitna, fitna, fitna. But fitna, everything's fitna now. You know, money is fitna. Social media is fitna. You know, family is fitna. You know, everything's fitna. Does that mean everything's bad? You shouldn't do it now? You know, I, 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 you know, wealth, wealth is a fitna, right? But, you know, we're not going to stop earning money and, and trying to, uh, you know, uh, get, get that pay rise at work, you know? Your car is a fitna, but you still want to buy a nice car, right? You know, ch children are a fitna. I, I understand that. I, if anything, I'll be the first to tell you, you know what? Like, there's a hundred things to consider before you need to, before you want to have children. We all know that. But is fitna a bad thing? What, what does fitna mean? Fitna, yes, it, you know, nowadays you can loosely translate it as, okay, it's a trial, it's a tribulation, you know, these, these standard buzzwords that you hear in, in an Islamic talk all the time, trials and tribulations and, 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 and what have you, right? But, you know, let's, let's look at it. What does it really mean? A fitna is a, is a, is a test, really, that is a, a means of purification for you, you know, and a test could be something bad and it could be something good, right? It could be something good. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could test you through something and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could test someone else through the same thing, right? But for one person, it could be good. For one person, it could be bad. Like wealth is just one of the best examples in this, right? Wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. Allah can test you through wealth by giving you a lot of wealth, right? Allah can give you so much wealth. It could be a very, very good thing for you, right? But it's a test for you. What are you going to do with it? Okay, and if you are paying your zakat and you're giving in charity and you are, you know, providing for your family and you're earning halal income, then alhamdulillah, you have passed your test. For this, for another person, same thing. Allah's given them a lot of wealth, but they failed their test. It's a bad thing for them. Similarly, someone doesn't have much wealth. Allah restricts their wealth and their income. They don't have anything. They're, they're living a life of poverty. And guess what? This is also a fitna for them. Same thing, wealth that we're talking about. Similarly, children. Right, it can be a fitna. Yes, you can talk about the problems that can come with it, the financial aspects, you know, the nowadays just thinking about raising children in the world that we live in and so on. Right, you know, it's, uh, I'll tell you something funny. You know, when I was, uh, I was chatting to um, Sheikh Hassan Ali, um, and, I, and I raised this point once about, you know, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's it must be, it's, it's tough, you know, nowadays having children, like, you know, it's, it's, I, I can understand why people don't want to have children today. 
And he he turned around and said, well, hold on a second. You're saying it's difficult to have children today and, and so on. And, you know, it's so challenging and it's so scary, the thought of having children. But what about our parents and our grandparents, you know, 40, 50 years ago, even more than that, that came to this country? Don't you think that it was even more scary for them? Like you're settled here now in this country. Imagine how scary it would have been for them. Like they had just come I here. Would, I would say, sorry, sorry to interject. I yeah, please, please. Say, I, I would then say to that argument that, for example, my grandmother, when he came here in the 50s, um, he had he had a survival mindset. And mm. that was with many of our parents or generations yeah, that came to this country. And so with the survival mindset, the, there was, it was about necessity. It was about hajj. It was about doing it for the sake of doing it. Uh, right. And that was a very good thing. It's a very noble thing. But nowadays, it's like we, we chase meaning, we chase purpose. Mm. Uh, and living in a society that doesn't value that, or doesn't value the concept of a marriage, then mm. quite makes you not want to value it. Mm. Uh, mm. And and so the, that's a, I'm not countering what you're saying, with me. I'm just saying that. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm just no, no. take devil's advocate because I know a lot of people think like that because I was mm. reflecting over that myself. But then what would you say to that in that case? I mean, what would you be able to put? Yeah, no, it's a good point. Yeah, it, I mean, 100%. We do live in two different times and two different mindsets, right? So yeah, parents, grandparents. I think the point, obviously, Sheikh was making was, end of the day, it was just as scary and just as daunting for them to have children. Today, we have our own set of struggles, um, different mindset, different problems. So it's really, you know, the two aren't aren't that different when you when you think about it from that perspective but yes nowadays we have a different mindset i understand that but the problem is also it comes down to yes society is you know society is pushing many different things as muslims do we just go with the flow right you know that we get we kind of get sucked into these ideas so same thing with marriage we, we started by talking about marriage marriage in and of itself Nobody sees the value in marriage now. You know, we're living in a we're living in you know in the West in particular. Like it's just it's really we're just surrounded by secular ideas, right? So don't really see it. You know, ma marriage nowadays is just a piece of paper. That's all it is. It literally is legally, you are Mister, I am Mrs, and halas. That's it. There's there's nothing more to it than that. We carry on living with each other and, and so on and so forth, right? But in Islam, is 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 that it? Is that what nikah is or is that it? Is that what having children is? That that's the difference, right? So I think obviously, you know, there's there's a lot more to it in terms of what society is doing and why are we as Muslims so influenced by society or why are we so influenced by the people around us when we have something far better, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, we have something far better uh, uh, for us. But, you know, this 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 conversation on... Having children, honestly, like, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have the answer to it. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's it's one of those things that's constantly evolving, and that's just the mm. times we're living in. Things are constantly evolving. There's so many different ideas, ideologies. You know, so many theories out there. It's it's difficult for people. I understand the struggle, um, mm. but you know, ultimately, you have to think about why. You know, I'm not saying, by the way, have children just for the sake of having children. You know what I mean? Like you've got to be responsible. It's like getting married for the sake of getting married. I, I don't. I, I haven't understood that concept either. You know, mm -hmm. like I, I, I'm getting. I, I'm, I want to get married. Why? This is quite common, by the way. I want to get married because I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I've turned twenty, bro. Like, I need to get married. You're like, why though? Like, you know, why? I, I don't know. I just. I thought that's just what you need. That needs to happen. You know, I thought you graduate. 
you get a job and you get married. That's it, right? By the way, it works for a lot of people, even with that. Alhamdulillah, a lot of people have successful marriages, even it, it, it works, right? But I'm saying, you know, like, if you want to be yeah. a bit more conscious about things, you want to plan ahead a bit more long term, you know, you want your marriage to be super successful. You've got to ask yourself this question, I mean, why am I getting married? Or why do I want to have children for? I'm saying, you know, factor all of these things in. It's, you know, it will help. 100% it will help. Uh, can I take you back to uh, something else? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've mentioned this to the listeners, but um, Shabir Hassan uh, co-founded or founded a nikah uh, company. I don't know what it's called. You've got very technical terms. I think it's nikah. <laughs> technically, your role is nikah efficient. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what you do, right? So you conduct nikahs. And mm. according to what I've read, you've conducted over 500 of them, which is... Is yeah. True? So, so, but collectively, collectively we have conducted almost now maybe six hundred. Yeah. And how much yeah. have you conducted? I would say comfortably around the three hundred mark. Yeah, I'd that's probably say almost insane. half. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, it it is. Like three hundred. That's more. If it's every week, that's that's more than four or five years. And my maths is not very good. More than that. Very, that's very good. Years. Very good maths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're coming up to exactly five years now. Allah of the Nikako. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's incredible. Okay, so I have a few questions with regards to, to that. Yeah, We're going to sure. come back to this discussion anyway. Mm. So after conducting over that many Nikahs yourself, uh, do you have any, any, anything that's tr like amazing as a story in terms of the experiences that you've learned dealing with so many different cultures? Perhaps I presume mm. that you've had inter interracial uh, marriages, you've had yeah. different types of, of, of people that you've kind of Nikah for. Have you got any yeah. experiences that we could learn from and we can take some wisdom from, inshallah? Yeah, wow. So um, every nikah... Honest, you can be very raw, like this is perfectly fine, inshallah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know what? Some people ask me, you've done so many nikahs and you continue to do so. Aren't you bored now? Like, you know, is, is, aren't you bored of doing it? And, and what they don't understand is, yeah, okay, on paper, okay, 300 weddings, whatever. It sounds like I've done the same thing 300 times. So there, one question, sorry to that. Yeah, yeah, go on. There's only so many ayat and hadith that you can keep using, right? <laughs> As well, I just thought I'd point that out. So can... <laughs> That's true. And alhamdulillah, one thing that I've definitely, one thing personally that I, the kind of person I am, I don't like doing, I don't like uh, doing the same thing. I actually, I've looked for ways to build on those speeches and the way that it's been delivered. So I think that's helped me personally to keep things different. Um, but yeah, why why don't I get bored? Because every single nikah, every single wedding is so different. It's unbelievable. Every experience has been different because it's a different couple, different background, different even nationalities, different cultures, different uh, wedding dynamics and whatever. You know, I've gone from literally doing nikahs in front of, you know, a guest or a guest, uh, more than a thousand guests in a huge hall. And it's been like this, you know, whatever, to, you know, sitting there in a masjid, right? Not even a masjid. I've done some in gardens. I've done, I think I've done one once in literally in, in just a park, like just two witnesses and bride and groom. That's it. Like as simple as that, literally. Right. Um, so the dynamics are very different. So hence why, alhamdulillah, I'm not bored. And, uh, I, I, you know, inshallah, I'm, I'm planning to keep going with in that sense. But coming back to the question of uh, some things that I've learned or some experiences, I'll tell you one that I just did last week. I just did one last week. It was really interesting because this one, again, mashallah, as you know, because of COVID and things, there's restrictions. So it's much smaller weddings. Um, and on that note, by the way, let me tell you something. 
the, the more recent nikahs that I've been doing in the last year or so because of COVID. And obviously, I understand, by the way, COVID has had a really huge impact on weddings. And a lot of couples have been really stressed out. They wanted to have weddings, but plans haven't gone ahead. But for me personally, as an imam, I can tell you that compared to the last five years of nikah, uh, conducting nikahs, the ones that I've done in the last year during COVID have probably been the best ones. They've just been so nice, so intimate, you know, 30 guests, 20 guests, so straightforward. And it's just really nice vibe compared to busy, running around, hundreds of guests, you know, it's just all over the place, right? So these ones are really nice. So the one that I did recently, marquee wedding in the garden, really nice, maybe about 15, 20 people were there. Um, the groom actually comes from a Sikh background. The girl, the, the bride, um, you know, she is born Muslim, Pakistani background, right? Um, but the guy wasn't born Muslim. He was actually raised as a Sikh. And his family were there. And his family members were all Sikh as well. But subhanAllah, one thing that we did was before the nikah, like 30 minutes before we sat down and he took his shahada. Obviously, it was all planned. It wasn't like I turned up on the day and, and you know, I was they were going to get married. And I was like, oh, by the way, it, it was all, of course, it was all planned. And he was already looking into Islam and, you know, he was ready for it at that point. So alhamdulillah, we sat down, he took his shahada. and then literally like half an hour later, it was a nikah and then he got married and mashallah, it was really nice. His family is still all Sikh. So, you know, they had certain, I could, I could already see they had certain practices of theirs that he didn't partake in, but I could see that they were kind of doing right. And obviously the family, the bride's family, they're Muslim anyway. So they followed the religious nikah ceremony that we did. But, you know, one thing that was amazing. Yeah. It's amazing that, and this wasn't the first time, but it was amazing that the shahada was there. The nikah was there you know, he went from entering the faith to completing half of his deen, half of his faith. And yeah, that, that was really nice. But one thing that I, I was saying is that, subhanAllah, you know, um, it shows us the, the, um, the weight of words in the sight of Allah. You know, like literally, what does it take for you to become a Muslim? It takes a few words. He just had to say, Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, like, wa shadu anna Muhammadan abdu wa rasuluh. Very simple, right? He said a few words and there, there you have it. He was now Muslim, right? He's considered to, 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 to have accepted Islam or to have submitted. Then a few moments later, all he had to literally say was, you know, Qabil to her, like, you know, I have accepted her. And with those few words, he was married. He was a married man. And when you think about it, that is how easy it is, right? With your tongue, you say a few things and that's it. And, and in, in a marriage, uh, a man with a few words, he could end that marriage, literally. You just need to say one word and halas, the marriage is ended. Talaq, done. Right? Similarly, you know, a Muslim just has to utter a few words of disbelief and it could take them out of the fold of Islam. It just shows you the, the power of words. Like the nikah in Islam, because um, a lot of people see nowadays it's all about paperwork and documenting things. And we do provide paperwork and, and so forth. But even without that, technically the nikah is valid. Obviously, it's recommended to have things documented. But that's not, it's not about paperwork in Islam. It's about literally words. Two witnesses are there, few words, and nikah is done. So for me, I found that quite profound, just thinking about it. Um, and there's many things that I've learned along the way. Um, let, you know, you mentioned like culture. Um, yeah, subhanAllah, we've done like, you know, South Asian, you know, Pakistani, Bangladeshi uh, nikahs. We've done, you know, West Africa, North Africa, and Egyptian, Moroccan, you know, um, all all over really. Um, so it's been really interesting, uh, Malaysian, Indonesian, etc. And to see um, the different, I, I think as an imam, what I had to learn because I, I'm not familiar with all the cultures and, and the aspects of, of the different cultures. So one thing that I had to also learn was 
how to be respectful and mindful of different cultural practices. Because alhamdulillah, you know, in Islam, you know, Islam is not at, at odds with culture. Um, sometimes culture can go against Islam, but generally speaking, you know, culture and Islam are very much, you know, complementary in that sense. And I think that's what I've had to learn. You know, the nikah is the nikah, end of the day. The nikah is always going to be the same. But there's going to be some things that happen here and there, you know, that are going to be um, a bit different. You know, Pakistanis, for example, they have a certain way of doing uh, nikah. And, um, you know, like uh, they have certain, like, like one thing, one question I get asked all the time from Pakistani uh, bride or grooms, they're like, don't you have to say it three times? Do you have to say Kabul hai, Kabul hai, Kabul hai? And I was like, really good question, you know, really good question. But technically, no, you don't have to. Like Islamically, you don't have to say it three times. I understand culturally it's a, it's a thing. You don't have to. But if look, if you wanted to, and if that's, if that's what's going to make your family happy, I'm happy to do that just for the sake of doing it. But you only have to say it once. You know, something as small as that to like Bengalis, mashallah, when it comes to mahar, they don't mess about because they, they give mahar plus they give gold. Like if you don't give gold with your mahar, that's a huge offense in uh, in in a, in, a, in a Bangladeshi nikah. Honestly, I, I think I think what you need to do is, on behalf of yeah. everyone listening uh, and including myself, I think it would be really mm. befitting would be, for for you to be write a book or something, or write a book on this. I think, I think <laughs> after yeah. conducting that much that much uh, that many weddings, I think mm. it's 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 the because. A wedding like that, it's the epitome of emotions, you know, what you're feeling on the day. Yeah. It's not just the, just the people that are getting married, but the families as well. Um, yeah, true. You know, so yeah. I think, I think it's, 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 subhanAllah, I think when I found out that that's how many nikahs you've conducted, I was, I was genuinely shocked. I was like, I probably attended about 15 weddings in total, you know, I haven't attended many yeah. weddings. So I can't imagine, I can imagine attending that many and then conducting <laughs> it as well. So yeah, I think yeah. that segues really nicely as well into our next discussion. Mm. Uh, by the way, for our listeners, inshallah, we'll be having a Q&A at the end. So the questions that you've given, don't worry, I will be circling those questions to Mustad um, as well in the during the episode, inshallah, or near the end. Okay, so the next topic uh, I would like to bring into the fore is um, a very, I know this, we haven't got much time, but a very succinct overview of a marriage advice 101. So we've got like four things here. Uh, third number one is looking for the right one. Okay, so looking for uh, a potential spouse. What would be your advice on on something like that as succinctly as possible? <laughs> um, it's not easy, by the way. So I, I commend you on it in advance. No, no problem at all. Um, looking for looking for looking for a spouse. What do we look for um, from an Islamic point of view? There's 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 many things. Um, but one thing I would mention, as well as there being loads of things from an Islamic point of view like the famous hadith that's quoted a woman is married for four things you know her beauty is mentioned there the the wealth and background is mentioned there the lineage is family background is mentioned there and of course the deen the religiosity aspect is mentioned there Th those are important um i feel like that to be honest those four points do cover like it's very comprehensive of course because our processor mentioned them but also just to add that you know generally speaking you're always going to have your own personal preferences and there's nothing wrong with having personal preferences. Um, you know, I think that's maybe one of the points also that's going to come up is just about your personal preferences. So that's also fine. Um, as long as they're not, um, for example, they're not 
you're not looking for something bad within them. You're not looking for something which is, you know, an, uh, a bad trait within them. You know, generally n none of us do that. But yeah, when you're looking for a spouse, these are the things that you look for. So personally, what I advise anyone is, yes, you're going to be looking at their family background. And uh, again, nowadays, you know, at the beginning, we we're talking about, um, you know, society today and, you know, what, social media and all of these things. Right. And yeah, you know, something that you're going to come across a lot today is, well, when you get married, you're not marrying someone's family. So why do you need to care about their family for, you know, when I'm getting married, I'm marrying the guy, I'm marrying the girl, forget the family. You know, I don't care about that. But no, it's, family is a big thing, right? Family is a big one. You know, again, it's just, uh, you can't, you know, every case is different. Sometimes families aren't actually in the picture. Many things. Generally speaking, again, families are huge. Why? You know, yeah, you're not marrying the family, but, you know, you do have rights, you know, you do have, you know, wouldn't you want to? Like, this is someone's, like, you're marrying someone. They have a mother, father, siblings, whatever you want to have it, right? Your mother, father, siblings, aren't they close to you? Aren't they beloved to you? Aren't they special to you? Now you're marrying someone. You want to spend the rest of your life with them. Don't, aren't you interested in their loved ones? Aren't you interested in spending time with them, getting to know them? Don't you think that's going to make your spouse happy? Don't you think that's going to make Allah happy? That's one aspect to it. And the other side of it is, you know, family upbringing. You know, that does have a huge impact. I'm not saying every good family means that the person you're marrying is definitely going to be good. But likewise, every bad family, so-called bad family, means that their children are also going to be bad. But overwhelmingly, it's true, right? If you've had a bad upbringing, then you're not necessarily going to have the best of qualities. So family is huge, guys. Family is huge. You know, Allah mentions two types of families in the Quran, right? He mentions nasab and sihr, right? Nasab, direct family through your lineage. Sihr is your family through marriage, meaning your in-laws. These are two different families in the Quran. They're both family. So I would say look into the family. Definitely family is important. Um, and likewise, don't ignore attraction. There's two uh, opposites in this. There's two extremes in this. One extreme is I am so head over heels, whatever they call it, in love because they are, they are so attractive. They are so beautiful, right? And you, you ignore everything else. That's one extreme. Right? I just want to get married to them now, okay? And the other extreme is that, you know what, Akhi? It's okay. Like, I don't need to be attracted to her. I'll marry her. It's okay. You know, inshallah, Allah will make it work. It, you know, both are really, really bad. Okay. Because on one hand, you know, you're going to marry that person, man, woman. Okay. And their beauty will fade away one day and you're going to be like, damn, what do I do next? Right. On the other hand, you know, a time will come in marriage where you do need to be attracted to your spouse. Right. It is healthy. So you need to balance that. So attraction is the other one. And then, of course, deem. But I want to mention something about deen before, before we wrap up this point. And deen, what is deen? When the Prophet said, look at their deen. Does it mean, mashallah, you have a really nice beard like Brother Asim has? You know, like, is, is, is that's it. Like, alhamdulillah, tick that box. You know what? Beard, done. Right? Nice hijab, done. And that's it. Deen, mashallah. They must be super, super righteous. You know, like, we have to look beyond that. We have to look beyond. We can't be as superficial, you know. We have to look beyond that as well. How do you find out all of that? Obviously, that's the that's the challenge, you know. How do you know about a person's character, right? You know, if you if you don't if you don't really know them that well, there's ways of of looking into it. There's ways of you know 
finding out certain things, right? Even through other people, through contacts, etc. But what I'm saying is, Deen is not just how a person dresses. It's a good starting point, maybe. It's a good thing to factor in, but that's not the only thing. That's not what's going to make a good spouse. That's that's not going to define their character. That's not going to define their dealings with other people. That's not going to define their sense of righteousness. So you have to find out beyond that in terms of, yes, their ibadat, yes, their worship. You know, that is one aspect. But generally, what is their conduct like? What is their character like? How are they like with their families? How are they like with their friends? How are they like, generally speaking, their general conduct? These, these are really important. Deen encompasses all of these areas. So again, my humble advice would be, please don't be carried away by small, small things like, oh, they, they look really nice. They look very religious. Look beyond that. And inshallah, you know, hopefully that would help when it comes to um, finding a spouse. I mean, I think you've uh, addressed the following two remaining ones. Um, mm. But I'll mention them anyway for this yeah. of our views, inshallah. That, um, number one is obviously compatibility. The next one I was going to ask you on how important is that? I think you've touched upon that already when you'd mentioned mm. that uh, to look into their families, look into their attraction, if they were attractive for you. Mm. Um, but I think in terms of compatibility, do you think that, especially in the West, especially growing up here, um, the we do let's be honest, majority of us do not have that survival mindset of the past, mm. so we don't have that incentive to keep us going to to the dying moments of the everything uh, mm. in everything that we do, and so that obviously poses the problem for us, uh, and also highlights this is what I genuinely believe that there is a more is a higher need to find compatibility in a, a prospective spouse or in a, in a future spouse. I mean, do you, would you argue that as well? Or with your experiences, have you seen that compatibility isn't actually that important uh, in, in, in terms of uh, keeping the marriage going? Yeah, no, compatibility is, um, is still, of course, is, is very important. I think it's just about how we're understanding compatibility. Um, you know, for some people, it might be, um, you know, one culture marrying another, the, the same, basically the same. That, that is what true compatibility is. And again, look, you know, um, again, like generally speaking, that might be the case for a lot of people. Like, you know, if I'm Bangladeshi, I marry into another Bangladeshi, I marry another Bangladeshi, you know, cultures match, compatible in most areas. So halas, like that marriage is, is going to work. It might be easier. You know, obviously, we can't guarantee if the marriage is going to work, but it's going to be easier. So, I, I mean, I would agree in that sense. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're sticking to the same kind of things, you eat the same food, you speak the same language, you know, there's there's all of that, then mashallah, you know, that, that's great. But that's not, you know, I don't think that in and of itself is what defines uh, compatibility. You know, you can, you can definitely marry another into another culture. You can marry someone of another nationality and the marriage can still work. It depends on how, you know, if you want to make it work. You know, I think that's what it comes down to. A lot of people, for a lot of people, it's, do you want to make this marriage work? Are you going to make it work? Are you going to put effort in? Are you going to nurture this relationship? Um, if so, then make the effort, you know. Um, and, you know, even if it means, oh, I don't know your language. Well, if someone really wants to make the effort, they can learn that language. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, it, there's so many ways uh, to go about it. But is compatibility important, you know, in many aspects, not just in terms of the culture, um, in terms of the, your personal backgrounds, where you're at? Even religious compatibility is an important one. You know, the, the most common uh, 
standardized answer that you're going to hear, mainly from guys, to be honest with you, if I'm completely blunt with you. A lot of guys, they say, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm looking for, in fact, one of my friends just told me the other day, subhanAllah, um, that he was looking into, uh, or, you know, his family were looking into finding someone for, against someone from his family, like, you know, a, 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 you know, a girl from his family. They're looking for someone to, to marry, you know, uh, to marry her. So looking into perspective, you know, uh, different proposals, etc. And basically the guy, you know, was requesting um, someone who prays five times a day, wears hijab, etc. You know, the standard, uh, you know, request, right? And then when it came down to speaking to this guy, you know, they asked him, you know, so mashallah, you know, you're looking for this kind of person. Do you pray and stuff like that? And he said, yeah, I, I don't really pray. If I'm honest with you, I try. Uh, I might pray sometimes. That's really about it. I'm not really there. So they were like, so why are you why are you looking for someone that's praying five times a day and stuff? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, wh what are you expecting here? And he said, yeah. And this is the standard guy answer I'm, I'm talking about, by the way. The answer is, yeah, but, you know, if I marry someone that's praying, obviously I'm going to start praying. You know, they're going to make me pray. They're going to make me better. All right. And that's like this, I, I'm hearing this a lot nowadays from young guys that are like, you know, I'm not really there yet in terms of my deen, but if I marry someone, definitely they're going to they're gonna sort all my problems out. And that's, that's the wrong attitude for me because it's like you're marrying someone not so that they can clean up your mess for you. You know what I mean? Like that's not the reason why you're marrying someone. You know, they're not, they're not there to wake you up for Fajr. You need to wake up for Fajr. If you don't wake up for Fajr, they're not going to be questioned under the day of judgment. You are, right? You know, they, they can't force you to do anything. It's not a magic wand, you know. People think women are going to come with magic wands and sort all your life's problems out. Spiritual problems, done, right, fixed. You know, health problems, fixed. Everything problems, fixed. It doesn't work like that. So religious compatibility is also quite important. You know, you're not going to be on the same level, but are you thereabouts, you know, understand these things. So, yeah, again, with compatibility, many different uh, uh, factors, but 100% it is important to look into these different strands of what compatibility means today, yeah. Um, okay, so in terms of uh, this kind of segues into the next topic before we answer questions, inshallah. Uh, and this topic is about presentability and maintaining appearances in a, in a materialistic society. Um, now, the reason why we decided to put this into this podcast for this particular episode is because I felt that uh, we felt that um, it does go in quite well with marriage because um, I, th I think generally speaking, when um, when you're married, you try your best to to look nice and to look after yourself. But I mean, in terms of general presentability and, and maintaining appearance, do you think, um, you know, what, what do you have to say about taking good care of one's appearance in terms of their clothing, in terms of what to avoid and what to encourage as a Muslim, males and females, mm. the general shara'i overview of what to, to wear and stuff? Yeah, no, it does. It does tie in with marriage. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, you know, I hope I hope it does anyway. Because some people they uh, <laughs> they kind of think, as, uh... I, as I was speaking, to, as I was speaking, <laughs> I was like, wait, how did I manage to include this as part of the marriage podcast? But then I, it's one of those things where I'm reflecting now. But I, let me try to phrase another question uh, before we get into the actual apparent aspect. Uh, yeah. Sharia wise, uh, do you, what is the basic Sharia definition of Allah? For male and females in, in a nutshell basically let's, let's okay. start from there at least okay fine cool so uh when it comes to aura again um you know as as many of the viewers might already be familiar there's you know in, in these in these discussions of fiqh um there is going to be slight differences of opinion 
Um, so there's no kind of set um, uh, answer to this, depending on which madhab, etc., that you're looking at, which school of law um, that you follow. Um, generally speaking, for for obviously for women, for obvious reasons, um, their aura is a lot more um, than the man. Okay, um, because of the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created the man and has created the woman. So for a woman, generally speaking, it is pretty much everything except for her face, her hands and her feet. But you're going to put a star uh, next to some of them because the feet, there will be some differences in opinion. Does a woman have to cover her feet or not in the Hanafi madhab, generally speaking, not um, face. There's a minority opinion that face falls under that um, as well as she needs to cover her face. But generally speaking, that is the, the aura, right? And then yeah. from man, yeah, go on, sorry. Were you going to say something? I, did, I thought, no, no, carry on. Yeah. Okay, okay. And, and sorry, for the man, it is basically, generally speaking, um, everything from, let's say, around the navel area to the knees, um, that is considered to be the aura. Again, is that above the navel, is that including the navels, including the knees, that's just down to difference of, of opinion. But that is generally the explicitly the, the aura from a fiqh point of view. But I always I always clarify that yes, that's the aura, meaning that is the the part that 100 percent needs to be covered. But that doesn't mean that any, you know, everything else is okay to to just generally show for a man, because obviously there's other things that you need to factor in. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm gonna potentially try to consolidate this to the main topic. Uh, okay, go on. Why, I think I think the reason being why I chose this is because uh, it came down to the aspect of the male and female, obviously, when they get married uh, mm. and um, they share a loving relationship with each other and they try to please each other. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's it's quite important to discuss this um, for males uh, as well. I think mm -hmm. it's good to talk, talk about this from a male perspective. How important is it for us to, to keep ourselves in check in terms of our health? In terms of mm. our clothing um and also for the females as well i think for both people i think you know how do we also make sure that we stay within the sharia in terms of our clothing um for mm. example uh, as a male i would like to say this but i think generally the the choice of male clothing uh it does show the aura through the clothes that you wear sometimes the tight clothes that we wear mm. or we choose to wear some of us choose to wear and so that poses a problem for many people uh in mm. terms of following sharia because we're then exposing our our, our mm. bodies um even though we then have a go at females for not doing the same thing we're then yeah. doing the same thing but i mean what what do we say about that in terms of first and foremost how the male and female or the, the spouses choose to present themselves for each other mm, yeah I, I like that link by the way that's that's a really good link mashallah um yeah so so look generally speaking you're right um when it whether you're whether whether it's male female um yes that's that's the fiqh discussion you know fiqh is always like the more legal aspect of things, you know, what what what's the requirements and so on. But obviously, you know, that that determines a lot of what we do in terms of rulings. But generally speaking, life, you know, we don't always follow it by the book, by the letter. You know, um, if we were to just follow the letter of the law, just you have to do this, you, you have to do this, you don't have to do this, then you know, we kind of lose the spirit of fiqh. That's what I like to call it, right? You lose the spirit um of things. Like it's like saying, for example, um, well, Salah, I mean, when you think about Salah, I mean, you have you have something which is Fard and you have something which is Sunnah. And you're like, okay, I've I've studied a bit of Fiqh. I, I think I know that Fard means you must do it and Sunnah means you don't really have to do it. 
Um, it's, it's just encouraged. So therefore, I'm just going to pray my fard. I'm never going to pray sunnah because technically that's what fiqh says. You're losing the spirit of fiqh, basically. You're trying to, you're trying to become a better person all around. So similarly with marriage, with whatever uh, aspect of life you're looking at, if you just look at what do I need to do? What are my musts? What are the requirements? What is, what's the rights? And, and you read that only. You know, uh, if I'm completely honest with you, the marriage probably isn't going to really work out in the best way because you're forgetting everything else. You're forgetting the compassion aspect, the love aspect, the mercy aspect, the spirit of marriage. You just you've lost sight of all of that. So, so yeah, with appearance, you know, sometimes what happens is some people, uh, mashallah, in the first few weeks, they're really like, you know, they're trying to really like, you know, impress their spouse, be on top of the game, right? And then Married life, you know, it, it kind of kicks in, you know, as we say, it's become very cliched, right? You know, men are expected to have big bellies, put on weight um, when they get married. It's like, you know, that's a sign apparently of a very happy marriage, mashallah. You know, akhi, you know, you put on weight, that's, you must be enjoying your marriage, right? No, akhi, that just means you're overeating. <laughs> you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a, mashallah, very successful, happy marriage, right? So some people, what they do is they kind of put their, take their foot off the gas and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I've been married for a couple of years now. I don't need to be the romantic person that I, that I used, once used to be. You know, that's kind of faded away, right? And when you look at the Prophet Sallallahu I mean, how old was he when he married Aisha? Easily in his, what, 50s, right? You know, easily. And, you know, he was married to her for... For more than 10 years right well you know let's say and he once they moved in right maybe less than that you know in medina right let's say maybe nine years or so and subhanallah when you look at the hadiths that i mentioned you know the process even from in his 50s going into his 60s you know marriage from year one to year 10 it was it wasn't like it wasn't like you know when you see like a graph where it's like you know it's 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 on one level it's going high and then it goes it drops all of a sudden. His one was actually not only was it steady but it was going up each time. There was a, there was a constant increase, right? That those aspects of romance and things like that were always there in his marriage. It didn't it didn't get lost just because you know like honeymoon period. We always talk about honeymoon period, you know. Um, that there's no such thing as a honeymoon period in Islam. Like, you know, we, we talk about honeymoon period today. Like, yeah, the marriage is great for the first few months. And then after that, you know, good luck, bro. Uh, that's not really how we're supposed to see marriage. It's supposed to be, alhamdulillah, you know, let's keep going. Let's keep improving this marriage. Let's keep developing. So when it comes to appearance as well, you know, firstly, why do we dress? You know, I, I've been asking this question a lot. Why do we get married? Why do we, why do we have children for? Why, what is the point of, you know, uh, looking good and things like that? Again, there's, there's, a, there's a purpose to even our clothes, our libas, right? And yes, one of them is the basic necessity of covering up, right? But then there's more than that. Our, our Prophet told us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is beautiful and he loves beauty, right? And Allah loves to see the effects of his blessings on his servants. There's nothing wrong with dressing nicely. But if you're going to put it down to, you know, out of all people, who am I gonna? Who should I look good for? Number one, it should be your husband or wife, right? Out of all people, if you think about it, if you're gonna look good for anyone after Allah, it should be your husband or wife, right? Because Ibn Abbas, he actually used to say that I love to dress up and look good for my wife, just as I love for my wife to adorn herself for me. This is coming from a man. You know, we normally talk about women. 
need to adorn themselves. Women need to look good. But men, you know, we just we just carry on, right? Come back from Sorry work. To interject, I have one question yeah. regarding this. Um, yeah, please. It's also to do with, less to do with actual physical appearance, but also to do with composure and mm. how we choose to adorn our speech or how we yeah. choose to convey and, and talk with each other as, as potential, as, as spouses, yeah. basically. Um, would you argue that that is equally as important as the physical adornment as well? Oh, yeah, really good question. Thank you so much. Um, I think, yeah, you know, um, a lot of us, we do let go on this regard as well. So I think there's there's both sides, right? There's both sides. It's beautifying. And, and it's like the hadith of the Prophet, Allahumma ahsanta khalqi fa'ahsin khuluqi. You know, oh Allah, you have beautified me in terms of my appearance. So now, beautify me in terms of my character. It's a beautiful dua. We should all try to make this dua. Uh, the Prophet showed us that, yes, you need to, Focus on both aspects. They're just as important as each other. So just finishing off the previous point, yes, the adorning aspect, the looking good aspect. Naturally, that is always going to help within the marriage. That's going to keep things, you know, keep things ticking, right? But then, yes, you have the, the way that you carry yourself as well, right? You know, let me tell you one common problem is that people, they are different to the outside world compared to how they are within the home. So in the outside world, they carry themselves in a certain way. And then when they come home, they they let everything out onto their spouses. You know, in the outside world, they're smiling and mashallah, you know, carrying themselves in a nice way. They come home and it's the complete opposite. Why? Why is that the case? We don't have any value and respect for our family members, our our husbands, our wives, our spouses. We don't have any respect. Right? So we're supposed to, you know, speak nicely to them. In Allah Rafiqun Yuhibur Rifq. Right, you know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is gentle, and He loves gentleness. He loves composure. Right, carrying yourself in the best way, it's going to also have a huge impact. Uh, normally, when you conduct a nikah, there's like a sunnah khutbah, khutbatul hajjah that you recite, and there's three verses that are recited um, in the khutbah. Ya ayyuhalladina amanuttaqullaha haqqa tuqati. Right. Uh, the other one is Ya Yuhannas Taku Rabbakum Aladi Halakakum in Nafsi Wahida, Suratun Nisa. The other one is Ya Yuhaladina Amanu Takullaha wa Kulu Kawlan Sadida. Three verses, three different passages of the Quran, but one common commandment. Right? Ittaqullah. Have taqwa of Allah. Why is this quoted during a marriage ceremony? Because marriage is all about taqwa. Taqwa means you're always conscious. Everything that I'm saying, everything that I'm doing in the marriage, Allah is watching. Allah is ever watchful. right? Because that is what's going to get us through the marriage. Because when you're in the home and nobody else is watching, nobody else is looking, the outside world is shielded away from your home. right? And when, you're, when your spouse asks you for a small favor, asks you to do something, you know, or makes a mistake, right? Does you know how are you going to react in those situations, right? But if you have taqwa of Allah, and you know ultimately, love for Allah, this is something that I always uh, speak about. And I actually wanted to raise in this podcast as well that we speak about love today. What you know, society has this definition of love today, but as Muslims, when we get married, actually the most, the strongest form of love is love for the sake of Allah. Right? Yes, you're supposed to love your spouse, love your parents, love your children, etc. But love for the sake of Allah trumps all of them. What does that mean? It means love for your spouse, love for children and, and things like that. According to the definition of today, th those things can fade away, right? You know, But love for the sake of Allah is the strongest because even if things aren't great, the situation, 
But if you love someone for the sake of Allah, you will you will make that work, right? You know, the mundane things, the boring aspect of marriage. You know, your wife says to you, please, can you go and grab me a cup of tea? Can you can you get a glass of water for me? And at that point, you're like, oh, seriously, I have to get up now and get you a, you know, how dare you ask me to make you a cup of tea? You know, it's like, why do I have to do this for? And because the romance side is gone, you know, you're like, this isn't love. But if you love her for the sake of Allah, you will say, you know what, if I get up right now and I go get her a cup of tea or a glass of water, I'm going to be rewarded so much for that small act. It is unbelievable. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to reward me so much for that. Not only that, but Allah is going to place more barakah in my home, in my marriage. I'm going to do it. Why not? And you're going to pick yourself up. You're going to go do it because you love her for the sake of Allah. Not just because you love her according to Hollywood's definition or Bollywood's definition. So so yeah, I just wanted to add that. Sorry, so could you then argue hmm. that the, the whole concept of taqwa for both spouses is that if they are more concerned about fulfilling their rights for their, each other, or I wouldn't hmm. even say rights, fulfilling fulfilling loving acts for each other, then yeah. it kind of like, it puts them in a situation where they'll never be asking where are my rights because exactly. they're focused on giving rights for other people. So that selflessness exactly. will be the, is, is, is a manifestation of taqwa to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. Really nice. But I think what the third ayah they mentioned, as well, mm. like that was kind of really important because for the third uh, third ayah, you have taqwa and then and speak and sadid as well, like exactly. And that also is quite important as well. I think to speak uh, mm. in a beautiful and and to have good manners with each other. Yeah. Um, especially in like you know in a world that's quite lewd, uh, quite materialistic, mm. and I think mm. that if our hearts are pure then good speech should keep our hearts even more purer as well. Um, yeah. So, But yeah, I, I wanted now to, I'm really sorry, like this was a bit out of place. You know, no, 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 that's right. The, I was forced to do this, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, inshallah, I would like to uh, then move on to questions now, inshallah ta'ala. So if yeah. anyone's, anyone would like to post their questions, then please do. Um, we will then share them. I'm going to start with the first one, inshallah, by this sister, I believe sister Obab, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see if I can show it. So what are some of the ways one can overcome the fear of the unknown when it comes to marriage? I'm aware of the spiritual design benefits of getting married, but the thought of the challenges that come with marriage sometimes put me off. Uh, example, uh, learning to live with a new person and family when you may not have known them for too long beforehand. Mm. So what's your thoughts on that, inshallah? Yeah, I think there's one thing we should have actually maybe spoken about is, uh, you know, this, because uh, it's it's one thing that puts off a lot of people. I think, yeah, you know, mm. that's one thing we is it, discussion in and of itself. What puts people off getting married today? And I think this is number one, right? Fear of the unknown. Um, you know, I, I don't know what, what things are going to be like. Um, so I think there's there's different ways of looking at this. Firstly, um, some people are a bit more heads on than other people. Some people are more kind of, um, you know, they like taking risks and they like, you know, they like the unknown, they like the adventure of life. So I think those kind of people, they don't really struggle with this. But there's others who, you know, rightfully so, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm one of those people, right? Uh, that, you know, you kind of think about things, you've got to factor in so many things, right? It's fine. Firstly, let me just tell you something. Um, that is That is a completely, you know, uh, understandable, normal thing to, to have a concern about. So it's completely fine. It's not bad. Okay, uh, because that's the that's the crazy thing about marriage, Allah. Something like marriage is you can't know like one hundred percent. Like you know, I'm sure Brother Asim will, will agree with me. It's 
it's impossible to know every single thing. Even if you've done your research, yeah, which you should be doing, by the way, you're supposed to tie your camel, right? Right. Never mm -hmm. go into a marriage like, yeah, tawakkaltu ala Allah, and okay, let's go, right? Of course, you can do your research, background research, all of those things, you know, get second opinions, do your mashwara, find out from close people in that circle. You can do all of that, which you're supposed to. But to be 100%, like, I know how this is going to, I know this person inside, I know them, what they're going to be like. It's really, it's, it's very difficult to tell. But if I'm honest with you, at the same time, there is a positive to that as well, which is, that is also the excitement of marriage. For me personally, that's, uh, you know, that's the way I see it as well. It's part of the excitement of marriage where, you know, once you've done everything that you can, okay, I'm going to clarify that point. I'm going to make sure I, I focus on that point. Yes, you have to do everything you can. Then you get married to someone. The, the point is of enjoying those moments together and getting to know each other and so on. But you won't be able to fully know that. I think that's one side of it. There's there's a few more things. Did you want to say something? I feel like I you want to say this. Say actually, what you I feel like you did answer this before. If if I mm. could say that. Okay. Because when you mentioned about the concept of taqwa, taqwa is yeah. very comprehensive, and I feel like if 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 a person has taqwa, mm. going into the whole process in terms of what he was looking for, and 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 he genuinely has that connection with Allah Taala, uh, you know, there that is definitely part of part of tying mm. the camel as well as taking all the necessary steps but if yeah. a person wanted to take away that aspect of taqwa and just take just look at the tick boxes then that equally mm. is problematic as well wouldn't you say so the whole idea yeah. the whole thing the epicenter of everything should come down to taqwa as well um, and stuff but just like for example in a business contract you know when you have a business contract sit down with yeah. each other you make sure that you know you trust this person uh, and there's an element of vulnerability as well in that the same way that the vulnerability mm. is still looking for a spouse but I felt like you did answer that before but just in a different way um, yeah so I wouldn't yeah uh, but it's definitely something to talk about in and of itself because that vulnerability mm. let's be honest us young people in the UK or maybe in Canada or America we we've been told all our lives if you do this you'll do this you'll do this you'll do this mm. you need to get this university you need these grades and so yeah. we have certainty in many things but the one thing we are not certain of is the, the stakes when it comes to marriage we don't have that mm. Hey, you're definitely going to get married and it's going to be like this because it doesn't turn like that most of the time it doesn't turn like that so exactly then you have to then look at to look at it from a spiritual or journey perspective in terms of how to do it so that one really does help in that regard so i feel like you did yeah that. and by the way is can it, i just quit yeah. just one last thing if i just add uh, sure, under sure. this is um because <laughs> i have i have some friends that um they just they don't want to get married and one of this is one of the reasons and the reason why they don't want to get married is because they're listening or taking advice from a lot of people who are also not married. So one simple piece of advice is that if you are unsure, like if you're going, if you're applying for a university, what's the first thing you do? You go to people that have been to that same university, enroll on that same course and ask them about their experiences. So my personal advice would be go and speak to people who are already married and had exact, they went through exactly the same thing as you. Ask them what they did, because I, I promise you, you're not going to get one answer to it. You're going to hear 15 different answers. And, I, and and speak to your friends or family members that are married. Ask them what they did and how you can adjust. I promise you that that will help. Just It's, it's simple, but trust me, it will help you, yeah, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next question now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Allah mentions in the Quran, for example, that those who are not wealthy, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless them with his bounty from his bounty. Can the ayat be expanded? Upon, expanded upon as many Muslims fear financial poverty due to marriage. Hmm. Okay, I think I think I get where where they're coming with this. I mean, 
there is pretty much a few verses in the Quran that speak about like marriage specifically, like in Surah An-Nur, um, for example, right? Surah Al-Talaq, Surah Al-Baqarah. There's a few verses actually where Allah speaks about this financial aspect of things and where Allah does say, you know, um, uh, what is it? Right. You know, so yeah, you know, try your best to, to get by until Allah provides for you. And when He does, then you're going to be in that position um, to get married. So Allah does actually speak about this. And yes, in, in other verses, Allah says that Allah will give from His bounty, Allah will provide for you, even if you are not necessarily not in a position to get married because i think again it's different today right um like when our prophet says you know you know whoever can get married is in a position to get married then they should get married and some of the scholars have said yes finance comes under this right if you know 100 percent that you can't do anything right then you have to question but there's still ways around it and you're like you know culturally yes you have to have a big wedding you have to invite 500 guests you have to move in with each other straight away you need to have a deposit down on a house culturally yes but from an islamic point of view can a person can two people get married of course they can because marriage means nikah. yes in an ideal world you're supposed to get everything going immediately but sometimes and i've come across this before some people they get married they have nikah done they get married islamically and then kind of like they're still in the process of sorting other things out in their life, you know, still trying to earn a bit more money, save up before they can, I don't know, officially move in together and 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 so forth. And if you're if if you're okay with that, then you can't rule that option out either. You know what I mean? It's not impossible to get married. So yes, uh, the simple answer is it can be. It can be for those who fear financial poverty. Allah can, of course. You know, we won't rule that out. I think Allah that was a really good answer, Mashallah. I think that was. But I can tell you've conducted them, you know, three hundred because of the answer. Uh, quite frankly, because it, it does show to me, it does show to me that you you've really understood that a lot of things are actually possible because of the fact that you just have to then change the dynamic of certain things. Yeah, uh, and it can happen, it can work, but mm. there will be certain limitations, temporary paths. Mm, mm, um, for example, if you can't get married in London, you can get married in Scotland or get married somewhere else that's cheaper and and. I'll just give an example or for example yeah if if another sake of argument is that you can't live you have to live in separate accommodation it may be better for you not to buy a three hundred thousand pound house hundred thousand pound house yeah or you could build a two-bedroom in a, in a massive back garden somewhere in one of your relatives house which yeah. is still possible i mean just give an yeah. example like financially there, there are different ways you can then do this um so i thought mm. that was really that was really befitting of a response and mashallah that uh, i really enjoyed that question and answer uh let's move on to the next question inshallah uh, the idea of the honeymoon stage fading away is discussed and then people have this misconception of marriage being based on this feeling. How can you preserve lost po- love post-honeymoon stage? Yes, I think, I think we, we, yeah, yeah. We, we did kind of touch touch on this. I did specifically mention the honeymoon um, period and stuff like that. And, you know, uh, like I said, this is just a Western concept, right? Um, you know, not that we, we need to rule it out entirely. It's not like, you know, haram to mention. It's just, it is a Western concept, you know, and um, you know, it's it's like we we hear about this. We hear about also at the same time we hear about these unrealistic uh, uh, expectations or unrealistic um, definitions of love. And you know what Hollywood shows and our oh, things are just going to be nice and things are going to be like this. You know, so I think really it's all about 
um, un having realistic expectations before you get married is very important for me. Um, before you get married, understand what is love. And don't expect when you get married for everything to go your way, for everything to be so blissful, for everything to um, just fall into place. You know, there's going to be challenges. Um, there's going to be arguments. There's going to be disagreements. There will be all of, all of these things are going to come with it. Um, you know, and that is not me being negative. It 100% isn't me being negative. It's me being 100% real with you that this is just going to happen. If you didn't expect it before you got married, you're going to be in for a huge shock. It's going to be a shock to your system, right? And you're going to be like, what? That means she doesn't love me. That means we, we're not compatible with each other because you thought love meant everything's going to go the way Hollywood movies show you. That's not true love. You know what I mean? So firstly, set your expectations, put them in the right place. Then when you go into a marriage, right, it's all about, I, I promise you, let me tell you something. I'll give you this advice for free, right? It's all about the small things, right? It's all about the small things in a marriage. It's not about the big things. It's not always going to be about the flowers and the chocolates and the holidays. I'd, you know, do that as well. It, it really does help, right? But I promise you, it's not always going to be about those things. It's going to be about the small things. Like I said, that small example I gave you before, getting up and, 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 and getting that glass of water, getting that cup of tea, you know, coming home, just asking, how was your day? How are you feeling? Is everything okay? Right? When you get into an argument, instead of switching and saying, oh, what's wrong with you? Just, just saying, you know what? I understand. I'm sorry. Those small things, I'm sorry. Are you okay? Doing these small things here and there. That's what's going to keep the romance going. I promise you that much. It's the small things. Don't always think about the big things or the standard things, the flowers, the, the, the lovely things. You know, that's nice. But think about the small things. Inshallah, I promise you, do those small things with the right intention. It will really help with your relationships, inshallah. I believe that is it. We don't have any more questions. I'd like to thank all of our listeners. May Allah bless all of you too for tuning in for this episode. Um, I, as anticipated, I knew this would get more views um, because it's topical marriage. And also because it's Ustad Shabir, mashallah, who's, who's very presentable, mashallah, tabarakallah. And he's really good at explaining things. Um, so yeah, I did, I did appreciate you coming down today for this, uh, for this podcast. And for everyone that's listening, do share around our podcast uh, platforms that we do have for Roots Conversations. Do pass it to your friends and family. And if you haven't already subscribed to our YouTube channel, uh, follow our different podcast platforms. And um, yeah, actually, you know what, Ustav? We've got one more question. Let's let's not leave this one. Um, <laughs> Go for it. Uh, how can we navigate and protect our emotions during the looking stage? Finding the balance between cultural expectations and our own standards, e.g., parent wanting from a particular village slash background. Mm. So I think there's a couple of things maybe in this question. Um, a few things that we've spoken about, like um, firstly, you know, that first part of the question I feel like is the most one of the most important parts. There's three different questions here, I, I think, or like two, three different questions in this one. The first one: How do you protect your emotions? That is honestly, it's it's something from my experience that has really affected a lot of people. You know, some people, they get so emotionally invested from the moment that they come across someone who is potentially, you know, it's not confirmed at this stage, potential. They are a potential. They become so emotionally invested because they get excited by the, the idea, the concept. 
um, that it really ruins things because then they have already made their minds up and you know it might not actually have been a great thing but no they're like no 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 this is this is great because too early on they got so you know what you need to do you just need to be um you need to you need to keep composed throughout you can't get carried away and this is why you know in islam let me tell you something it's so beautiful this is why in islam generally again generally speaking where it's possible in most cases inshallah you know where families are involved throughout um and you know for example a woman has a wali you know why because i, I promise you something i'm talking from a guy's perspective a wali makes a huge difference let me tell you that from a guy's perspective if i was just talking to a girl and nobody else was in the picture i, I can do anything I, I can take advantage of, of, of things i can i can use words to manipulate i can use words to make things seem like it's going to be perfect right you know not that i'm saying you know, a woman can't make, you know, can't figure these things out and pick up these red flags and things. But having a wadi, I'm not talking about from the woman's perspective, from the guy's perspective, it makes a huge difference. Just knowing there's a wadi in the background, knowing that somebody is there, nobody, no, knowing that I have to answer to someone as well, you know. So keeping family in the loop, doing mashwara, um, seeking advice from people. This is what's going to keep you in check. Don't close the book ever and say, I've made my mind up and I think this is it. Always be open, receptive to feedback, to hearing advice from other people. So that's that's one way I would say that's going to be really good because too many young people, they close the book and they say, you know what, I've made my mind up. I think this is it. This is my happily ever after. This is going to be the best decision of my life. And they're ignoring all the feedback, all the red flags, everything. So I think that that's, that's, that's definitely something to keep in mind. As for the other questions, to be honest with you, I'm just going to answer that first part because the other ones are, a bit more, uh, a bit more in depth, but I think that one was yeah. very important. Yeah. Allah alaikum. Um, I think that should be it, inshallah ta'ala. That's a wrap. Um, so yeah. Subhanaka bihamdik wa nashadu la ilaha illa ant wa nasafrat wa nakubu ilayk. Salamu alaikum. Wa 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 alaikum. Wa